I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Hope Week podcast. I'm Hope Week editor Matthew Appleby, and today I'm with Michael Perry, the plant geek, one of the best-known names in gardening. Now, Michael spent a decade at Thomson & Morgan in product development and is now ubiquitous on TV, social media, and at conferences promoting new plants. So, Michael, welcome. Hey, that's the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> is that right? Is that right? So, how's it going? What, what are you up to? Yeah, really good. Well, to be honest, I've just come to the end of a really intense time through September, October, because I had about four or five different projects and they all kind of combined almost into the same week. So I've obviously um, had the book launch, which I know we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, also been doing some work with Timberland. I was in some of their kind of adverts almost. And I did some workshop with, with them as well. Terrariums, herbs, balcony planters. Really pleased though, because like that means... Timberland, a big brand like that, international, recognizing horticulture as one of those kind of bold careers to follow and kind of, you know, recognition as a whole is fantastic. So that was cool. Uh, Joy of Plants. I've been working with the Dutch Flower Council for a few years, and we just had a really cool event in Mayfair where the members of the public could come and meet their ideal plant. And it was like a speed dating night for plants. So that was cool. And yeah, and different kind of content creation and kind of some work with uh, Florette as well with some research they did. So yeah, a lot of stuff has been happening. It's really very fortunate. Yeah. So what I want to know is you, you, you get all these great gigs. How do they come about? Do you, do you, do you like, uh, you know, how, do you have a really great manager or is it just your natural charisma or what, what happens? Well, I don't have an agent. I don't have a manager. Um, I just have a digital assistant that helps me with putting stuff on the website and kind of like uh, bouncing off ideas with because she's she's only about 25, I think. So it's nice to have that kind of younger brain sort of in your in your kind of team, as it were. But I really I get the work because I use social media for for my followers to share my findings, to share the stuff that I find interesting. But most importantly, ever since I joined social media, 
I've used it as a, a visual CV, a shop window, a showcase of what I do. And that is where I get bookings for, for work from. So I make sure that every type of work that I do, whether it's an industry talk or a, something with the public or, or just something of my own at home, I'll, I'll put everything on social media to act as that kind of showcase because, you know, not only does that show how versatile you are, but people search for gardening experts these days. And of course, in the searches, you know, it's likely to come up on Google, my website, so I make sure that's well covered and it's very clear what I'm about when you visit the website. But also a lot of us will these days hop onto social media to find out more about someone. So maybe, you know, I see a cafe that I want to visit in South London. I'm probably going to look on Instagram before I look on Google to kind of find out what they're about. And people are doing that with people as well. So I make sure it's always a good showcase that shows what I do so someone can easily just kind of connect and and find out what work they could book me for. And by having that nice portfolio there, that's that's where I'm getting the bookings from. So it really is. And it's free of charge as well. So I'm not giving an agent a percentage. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So there's not that much crossover between the trade and, you know, the the um, consumer media usually. But you've successfully bridged that gap in, in the way that, say, Pete Seabrook did 50 years ago. Would you mm. see yourself in, in that kind of mould? Yeah, that's a really, really interesting um, observation and question. Um, I think when I do work with, say, ITV This Morning or Steph's Pat Lunch on Channel 4, my industry awareness and industry kind of experience and connections really helped me to bring something different to that show. So, for example, we did Rock Gardens a couple of, um, no, sometime last year. And with that, I then brought in the Chelsea Plant of the Year that was the Semponium. I brought in newer varieties. So I think sometimes because I've got that industry experience, if you've got someone who's a bit newer to the industry that doesn't have those industry connections, it could then be quite a different kind of segment on the on the show with things that, you know, you might easily just find in B&Q or kind of the local garden centre. But I'm kind of adding something a little bit extra with those things. And there, I guess, in that same breath, I'm then supporting, you know, the commercial side, the industry and kind of making that more visible to the to the public and kind of, yeah, and trying to make us more proud of our industry in the UK because horticulture can be so unseen sometimes and people don't realise how important it is, but also how there's career options in there as well. So, yeah, hopefully my kind of blend of industry and consumer kind of experience is really, um, yeah, is really helping. I'm acting as a conduit, perhaps. <laughs> well, you're proving to be a great ambassador. But anyway, you mentioned the book earlier on, mm. and uh, let's hear a bit more about that. Hortus Curious. Yeah, sure. So this, again... I see myself as quite an in-betweener with a lot of stuff, obviously in between consumer industry, but with the book, I'm in between botany, serious botany, and people with just a passing interest in plants or horticulture. So what I wanted to do was write a book that was written very much in a conversational style, uh, a book that really busted away all the botany, because botanists have got a great place and they explain stuff, you know, in great detail, but sometimes it's it's difficult for the public to then engage with that because it can be very technical. So I work really hard to research a lot of that botany. And as you know, Matthew, I'm not a botanist at all. I'm just a, I'm, I'm really kind of a marketing horticulturalist and a guy that loves plants. But I kind of researched a lot of that botany and kind of then translated it into kind of everyday speak. So there's 
there's reference in there to uh, EastEnders, Hollyoaks, Iron Brew. You know, there's a lot of kind of pop culture and topical references, like just how I'm casually talking about the plants, but really kind of getting across what they do for us, how they behave. You know, Kaliana Major, the flying duck orchid, for example, this is posing as a female sawfly in order to be pollinated by this male, male sawfly trying to copulate with the flowers. So kind of I've then staged that in the book as the greatest catfishing of any, you know, modern age, because, of course, you know, the insect doesn't get to go on a date with the plant because it's been fooled into pollinating the next flower. So it's kind of making it fun. And and it was always about, you know, anyone could pick up that book and maybe be interested in plants at least for 10 minutes. You know, even if someone's going to be, oh, I hate plants. Oh, plants are so boring, blah, blah, blah. They'll pick up this book and hopefully they'll change their minds. Well, catfishing, that's a thats a nice <laughs> analogy. So who's it aimed at? Who do you think is going to buy it? Do you know what? It's really, I don't know this sounds, it sounds really lazy, but it's aimed at everyone because everyone engages with plants at different levels. And I've had comments from, you know, botanists and kind of people that are serious deep in the industry being like, I love the way that you've written this in a really accessible kind of more lighthearted way. The, the serious information is there. Everything, fingers crossed, is botanically accurate. But I've managed to kind of uh, communicate that in just a fun, almost frivolous way, but still having that kind of, you know, good information in there. So I would say, yeah, it could be nice, lighthearted reading for someone who's very serious about plants. But equally, it could be kind of a nice kind of indulgence for someone who doesn't know they love plants or even teenagers as well. I think it's a little bit too advanced for kids because obviously some of the descriptions, you know, bigger words here and there. But like for teenagers, I think this could be a nice little market, actually, because you've seen from the cover it's kind of bright, it's cheerful. It's got brilliant illustrations by Aaron Apsley, who's based in Florida. And they're kind of giving that almost photorealism to the plants as well. And and some of the ones we've chosen for the cover almost look cartoony as well. So, yeah, I think... Yeah, appealing to everyone, I'd like to think. <laughs> yeah, cool. We're talking of base, based in Florida, you're based in Ipswich. Do you ever feel sort of out on a limb there? Or you must love Ipswich because you've always been there, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, I'm up and down to London so much. And obviously, you know, in the last month or so, working with the Joy of Plants, Timberland, etc. But I think these days, connectivity means so much. And social media has really been that kind of lubrication that, helps us with the online, offline kind of communications with people. And and I think I might have felt more on a limb if I was doing this, you know, solo career 15 years ago. But now, you know, connectivity is so different as well. And so, no, I wouldn't say so. But of course, a lot of my in-person work then does bring me to London. Now, talking of travelling, you spend a lot of time in the Netherlands looking up, out for new plants. What have you found there recently? What are your tips for 2023? <laughs> Gosh, a lot. <laughs> I had a really, really great summer there. I actually spent two and a half weeks there kind of seeing family, friends, just kind of living amongst it because, you know, then you kind of really can just call in on places, have a bit of time. And I find, you know, in June with the flower trials, it's kind of like from appointment to appointment. So it was really, really cool. Um, where did I spend some time? I was with Marco Van Noort, great perennial breeder. He's got some really cool echinaceas coming through that don't have any petals. So if you can imagine that, they look like these really cool drumsticks. Now they might sound awful, but when you see the pictures, they're really, really fun and very different. 
You've also got some nice double-flowered scabious he's got coming through. Uh, also spent some time on the seed trial fields of Taki and Van Hamer as well. Lots of nice new com Cosmos. Uh, quite a lot of Napita coming through at the Van Hamer as well. Uh, Sahin, lots of hardy annuals. So I think hardy annuals over the years, kind of people have, you know, maybe shied away from them. You can't buy them as easily as a plug plant, for example. But we've got a newer audience that are coming through social media, Instagram. They want to sow their own seeds outside. They want to make it easy. A lot of those plants are great for pollinators. Whilst not being wildflowers or native, they are, you know, full of pollen and nectar. So lots of those coming through as well. So, yeah, a real um, always so much to learn in Holland, even if you're just popping into a garden center. You see a lot of cool stuff. Now, you're pretty big on promoting the kind of indoor-outdoor trend in plants, like the mangave type of plants. Where's that going at the moment? Yeah, so the mangave, you've probably got about 60 varieties there. So it's become quite collectible, like um, like the things you used to get free in uh, cereal boxes. But also, you've got uh, begonias. There's a new range of begonias, the Space Stars, which are coming through Bacon Camp. Uh, some of those are actually coming kind of via Bacon Camp from Dibley's in the UK, in Wales. And these are very cool. I've got some outside on the patio at the moment. And these are another definition of indoor-outdoor plant. They're really, really sun tolerant, but they're equally great as a house plant in bright, indirect light. And they're metallic. They're kind of funky. I feel like they're like a mangava kind of almost part two. Very, very cool plants. And and I've also been experimenting the other way with using spider plants outdoors in containers. Uh, I've been using some pothos, calanchoes. You've probably seen from my socials. I'm a big fan of those indoors or outdoors. Outdoors, they can give you 100 days of flower, which is, you know, kind of knocking at the door of many bedding plants these days. That's amazing. So um, what's, what else do you think is going to be a big trend in 2023? I mean, we, we're kind of seeing houseplant sales have kind of peaked as people are going back to work. Mm. So how, how does that move on now? Yeah, well, houseplants, to be honest, like the, people have been focusing a lot on the foliage plants for so many years. And I'd love to see that move into flowering plants a little bit. So maybe orchids. There's a lot of nice named orchids coming through, Phalaenopsis. Uh, the fragrant ones too. Obviously, Kalanchoe, they feel a bit 80s, but there's a lot of newer, very nice uh, doubles and bicolors coming through. Um, something I do love to champion is kind of window boxes because very often, you know, we're running out of space for houseplants, but a window box is, you know, a little bit easier to care for. So, you know, those people that have gone back to work, haven't got time for houseplants, maybe a window box is an option, but I'm kind of waiting for someone to really invent a universal window box that will fit on every window because, you know, every house has got potential to grow window boxes of gorgeous flowers, could be wildflowers, could be, you know, plants for pollinators as well, or at this time of year, lovely autumn and winter colour too, heathers, all of that jazz. So yeah, I'm a big fan of kind of pushing window boxes a little bit. Now, that's a great idea, the universal window box. Now tell us a bit more about the um, the lonely the Lonely Hearts Plants Club in Mayfair. I wish I could have gone. I couldn't make it, but I, I would have been. I, I would have been there. I would have been. You'd have been matched up with your perfect plant. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so this was with the Dutch Flower Council. So I've done a few different projects with them over the years. 
Uh, we did the jungle suites when we installed a load of house plants into a East London hotel. Um, and this year we did the Lonely Plants Club. So basically we kind of made a, a big kind of event in the heart of Mayfair in the Lucky Club. And this was filled with house plants. So there's six different types of house plants. So they were divided into athletic, uh, fitness fanatic, uh, romantic, intellectual, and so on. And so the idea was members of the public could sign up for a ticket absolutely free of charge. They then come at a specific slot to the Lucky Club in Mayfair, and then they get a free cocktail. I give them an iPad that is preloaded with a range of different questions. These questions are kind of asking you about your lifestyle, your kind of attitude to life, your hobbies, your likes, your dislikes. And at the end of it, it tells you what type of person you kind of are and therefore what type of houseplant would suit you. So adventurer, like we said, fitness fanatic, or it could be romantic. And then you're then matched up with the plant from that category. And then you get to go to a table where there's a range of plants that fit that brief. And you can then choose the plant that speaks to you from the heart. So really cool. I mean, for example, the fitness fanatic section was real cacti, succulents, tough, resilient plants. Romantic section was plants that actually were flowering. So they would need feed. They needed a bit more care than some of the others. But of course, that is what a romantic wants. They want to have the kind of love in return both ways. So it was really, really well thought out. And the, the public loved it. Really, really cool. That sounds brilliant. I remember once going on a, on a uh, well, it was a, it was a sort of date night in a garden centre. It was like speed oh, right. dating, but it was in a in a real garden centre. And I I went as a journalist, not as a punter. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and and I wrote a piece about it, and it was the most enjoy one of the most enjoyable pieces I've ever written because uh, I don't think anyone will ever do that again. And I've never heard of anyone doing that again. Um, I just love <laughs> these like projects, and I love being involved in the projects that are really outside the box because. You know, we want to bring new people into horticulture. We want to encourage more people to buy the plants that we work on and promote. But it's it's not always done in the most obvious way. You know, not everyone's going to engage with, you know, the usual programs or the magazines. You have to grab them from a lot of different ways. And that is where, yeah, like the Joy of Plants do some great little projects like that. That's one project you've you've been doing. Um, what about TV projects? What have you got coming up? Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of Steph's Pat Lunch over the last two years since it kind of started. So a bit more of that kind of going into the autumn, obviously bringing in new, different kind of stuff from the industry, different angles. We'll be focusing on the cost of living a little bit more going forward as well. Um, I don't think I've got anything else in the bag in terms of TV. It's, you know how TV is, it just kind of pops up and then they call you on a Tuesday and suddenly you're in the studio on a Friday kind of then, then doing your demo. So, yeah, but in the background, always loads of different plans. I'm kind of starting to get into Substack actually over the winter, which is this like newsletter platform that people can then subscribe to. And I'm going to use that as a kind of platform to talk a lot about my like new plant knowledge and kind of new plant trend ideas that I have. So, yeah, it's, uh, it can be written, it can be uh, voice notes, it can be images and video. And it's kind of one of the ways that I think a lot of us in the industry are kind of able to be fully in charge of our, our content as well. And you're obviously not relying on algorithms because people subscribe like a newsletter. And it was actually uh, Mark Diacono that got me onto it because he, he does it. Also, Joe Thompson does a regular one as well. So, yeah, Substack is an area that I'm really starting to focus on 
getting into the last few months of the year. Oh, that's a bit of a look into the future. And a look into the future is the cost of living, as you mentioned, and inflation. And I mean, it makes it a bit difficult for people to think about, you know, getting into new stuff and, you know, mm. be, being, uh, you know, out there. They might just sort of, you know, go backwards a bit and think, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to buy anything new. I'm not, I don't want to stick my neck out. I'm, uh, mm. I haven't got much money. So how, how, how do you, how do you um, talk about the cost of living in terms of, you know, new and exciting things? I know. So I think it might be a little bit tough, you know, obviously over the winter months because people aren't engaging with plants as much anyway. But hopefully kind of the other side as we get into the spring, then, you know, people might be a little bit more positive about growing plants. But then I think it is about having the new stuff that has a good story attached to it. And more than ever, it will be important to sell plants that have a real purpose as well. So not just a plant because it's some funky new pink version of this but actually yes it might be a new pink version but it flowers for longer or it's better for pollinators you know i think people would be happy to invest in plants if they also have a very serious purpose not just for themselves and the goodness but for wildlife as well so i think kind of they're the new plants that are really going to have the the best chance of success over the next say two or three years i would say Oh, that's good. Now, what I want to know, Michael, is what, what's your career plan? What's your ambitions? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Oh, do you know what? People ask me this all the time. They're always like, what is your dream job? What is your dream role? And I would say exactly what I say to everyone else. And it's, I don't believe in having these five-year plans because, or even a three-year plan, because sometimes you just have to kind of roll with it and see what comes up because that is the way that you can be as reactive as possible I think sometimes when you have this set plan kind of, you know, set in stone over three years, five years, you then kind of almost become a bit complacent and you almost don't don't work on that stuff until like, you know, year four and a half sometimes. So, no, I tend to kind of as I go along, I kind of like pick up opportunities here and there and it makes me very open and able to pivot without much notice as well. So I've never been someone that looks that far ahead, really, and even Back to my school days, I didn't know I would go to horticultural college until like two months before. And then I didn't know I had a job with Thompson Morgan until maybe a month before I left college. So I think it allows me to be a bit more kind of, uh, yeah, flexible and just reactive, really. So, oh, I like your style there. Now, we're coming towards the end of our chat. But at Hot Week Podcast, we always ask at the end the big question, the question that everybody really, really wants to know. What's your desert island plants? What plant would you take to a desert island if you're only allowed to take one? So I was thinking about this. I wonder if it should be a sensible choice, one that's going to feed you, or a frivolous choice, one that's actually just going to be a meaningful plant. You have two? I'm going to go for the latter, actually. (laughs) And it's the same as when people ask me my favourite plant. It's really an iris because I remember one of the first things that I learned in the garden was how to divide iris plants with my grandma, who's been a great inspiration to me over the years. I painted an iris on a stone for her as a paperweight when I was very young. Uh, and iris are really beautiful. There's so much love, lovely stuff to look at there. And obviously, you know, a big family. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say an iris. But it might not survive in that climate. Maybe Louisiana iris. That would be my best bet. Oh uh, yeah. And what would be your what would be your other choice if you have if you were going to choose the other one? Oh, I don't know. I, it would have to be something like intelligent, like I don't know, coconut tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, coconut tree. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the classic. Okay, now yeah. Now we're just envisioning you envisioning you there on your on your desert island, Michael, under your coconut tree, with your tending to your irises. Now. 
thank you very much to Michael Perry, Mr. Plant Geek. Thank you. I'm Matthew Appleby, your Horticulture Week editor, and this has been the Horticulture Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe to or follow Horticulture Week podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform. Once again, thank you and goodbye until next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.